Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all the assembled prove acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, the encounter that has been chosen for our consideration tonight is uh, not only an interesting moment in the life of Jesus, it's also a very poignant moment in the life of Jesus. You see, when people came up to Jerusalem for one of the festivals, uh, the people to the north typically came down the Jordan Valley. That was the easiest way to come from Galilee, follow the Jordan down, and then they always say, we went up to Jerusalem. And if you've been in the Jordan River Valley, you know that from there all the way up to Jerusalem, you were on a steady climb. And uh, there was a buzz in the city as they waited for the coming of Jesus. Uh, His miracles were well known by then. Uh, His popularity was at an all-time peak, except for those who were plotting even now his arrest and his trial and crucifixion. And they were waiting for him to come, and they knew where he would be coming from. He would be coming from the east. He'd be coming from the Jordan River Valley. And uh, as he came, uh, we talked before about how they had gathered palm branches to receive him into the city uh, for the Passover. And we'd already talked previously when we uh, mentioned about the cursing of the fig tree that they would uh, bring branches like this to build temporary shelters for themselves. And they had many of them along for that purpose. Uh, They laid them in the street in front of him uh, as to welcome him as a king. Uh, He came on a colt, uh, a never-before-ridden animal, in fact, that no one would ever choose to ride, but it was peaceful for him. Another miraculous sign, also a a prediction from the Old Testament that your king comes to you lowly and mounted on a donkey. All of that was fulfilled as Jesus came into town and the people were ecstatic, thinking that finally he was going to rule like his forefather David and he was going to throw off the yoke of the Romans like David had thrown off the yoke of the Philistines and establish a kingdom even greater than his father, David. It was not that kind of victory that Jesus came to accomplish, but that's what they were expecting. And they hailed him king of the Jews, and it bothered the Pharisees that they were uh, referring to him with messianic psalms. And the Pharisees demanded that he would command his people to cease and desist. And Jesus said, you don't know what you ask. If I made them stop, even the very stones would cry out. This was the energy as he walked towards the city. And as he came over the hill that is called the Mount of Olives, from there you can see the entire city laying before you, including the temple. Uh, he began to descend through the Kidron Valley where the, the uh, Garden of Gethsemane was also located. He would walk past that on into the gates and up into the city. And then it tells us, That as he approached the city, he wept over it. It, it, It's such a contrast. Everybody is cheering. Everybody is running for a spot. Everybody is throwing their clothes down and and honoring him and uh, waving their palm branches. And Jesus is weeping. It it doesn't really tell us how he did that. It doesn't say that he stopped to do that. I, I would think it'd be, you know, a private moment. 
and uh, one that probably was only observed by a few close people. And, and, and you see the spirit of those around him, and then you see a different spirit in Jesus. And I think how much that is true about how we view a situation versus how he views a situation and how these are hardly ever uh, parallel. He had a great concern and a sorrow in his heart, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you had known on this day, yes, on this day, the things which make for peace, you would have celebrated this moment, but they have been hidden from your heart. The things that make for peace, the things that make for shalom, the things that make for not just peace, but wholeness. For the day will come, he said, when the very stones that are made upon which you are built will be overthrown. People will ramp up huge mounds of earth against your walls and they will conquer you and they will destroy the city that you think is indestructible. They will level you and your children within you and they will leave not one stone upon the other because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. There's a a couple of observations that I want to make about this encounter. First, some of the saddest words that you will ever see linked together in the English language are these four. What might have been. What might have been. Have you uh, lived with any regrets? Jesus said, man, if you had only known what might have been. Instead, you are on a path of destruction. Now, it isn't that God wouldn't be with them even in that path of destruction. I think about uh, the journey of the 40 years through the wilderness. You know, Jesus was with them through the 40 years of the wilderness. But, boy, it would have been so much better had they just entered the promised land and not have to journey for 40 years of funerals until they were finally allowed to enter into the promised land. And I think Jesus would be with them now. He wouldn't reject them. But what might have been had they understood the visitation that was occurring? Do you have any regrets? I I nearly had a regret. Do you remember uh, Christmas this past year? It was the weekend after Christmas when we had this huge deluge of rain in St. Louis. you remember? Unless you were living under a rock, you know, uh, (laughs) you, you probably noticed uh, highways were closed down, all the thoroughfares, uh, and, and people suffered tremendous destruction. I was up to preach that weekend. Christmas fell on Friday, and so we had services on Saturday and Sunday as well. And I remember being at service Saturday, and it had been raining all day. And uh, they were calling for torrential rains for several days, and, and it didn't look good. Now, um, I have a house with a sump pump in it. And uh, normally it doesn't run very much, but occasionally when it rains, uh, uh, it runs occasionally. And uh, I was sitting at home, and, and uh, the pump was running probably every 20 minutes. And uh, I thought, well, that's a good sign. And then there was this loud boom down the street, <clears throat> and a transformer blew out, and our house went dark. And I thought, well, that's not good. You know, and Kara goes, well, it's not a big deal. We could just get flashlights, light a few candles. And I said, there's such a thing as a sump pump that doesn't work on candles and a few batteries. You know, and uh, if that thing stays off for very long, it's going to overflow. And she says, well, what do you think you should do about it? And I said, I've been wanting to install a battery backup for some time. 
Now, it was like 7.30 at night because service was, you know, at 5 to 6. And, and uh, I said, how late do you think Lowe's is open? <laughs> she says, I think they're open till 9. So I went to Lowe's, and I bought the last double pump that they had with a battery backup. Now, I had never done this before, but I thought, how hard can it be? I didn't want to have the regret of not dealing with the problem and the fallout that would occur. Well, it was uh, 11 o'clock before I got it all installed, but I slept well that night. You know, we never lost power, but I thought what might have been, what might have been, because I know members of this congregation who normally live on high ground suffered the loss of their lower levels and some the loss of their entire property because of that rain and the effect of it. Have you ever had any regrets? You know, they say, don't drown, turn around. And uh, as uh, rain fell again through the south this week, I saw a video that was on the news of a semi-trailer that uh, attempted to go down a road that was flooded. He had big wheels, no problem for him. Everybody else was uh, standing aside, but somebody was videoing it. And uh, he didn't know that the road was washed out. He got halfway down this road, was moving quite nicely and high and dry until he hit that spot. The truck overturned and down the river he went. What regrets he must have had. Do you have any regrets? After 38 years of ministry, I recently uh, took a part-time position here in support of Pastor Dion. He's been such a great supporter of me uh, for six years. I thought, let me support him for a while uh, until we can get on with the next phase of our ministry. Let's have a seamless transition, and God has really blessed that. And you might wonder, do I have any regrets? And and I I do, but they might not be what you would think. Uh, My regrets are that I was not more courageous you're saying you were plenty courageous. It would have been better had you not been. Uh, but my regrets are that I was not more courageous and I didn't manage change as well as I might have, that I was not as wise as I might have been. Now, I often visit churches and give counsel to pastors of churches much smaller than this. And it's so obvious to me what needs to be done uh, and, and what they should be about and, and how they're messing it up. And I often thought about guys who are running churches much bigger than this and, and how stupid I must have seemed to them, you know, not to be able to solve those problems. One time, a few years ago, I was talking to a district official that I knew as a personal friend, but he was also a district official. And he said, the problem with you, Howard, is that you are a boat rocker. And uh, that... Uh, you don't, uh, you don't conform enough. And I said, no, that's not the problem with me. The problem is I'm not courageous enough and I conform too much. I care too much what you guys think. You know, our whole denomination, in fact, every denomination is in trouble because they haven't adjusted, they haven't changed. We're struggling to figure it out, but we are figuring out. And God has been good and has blessed us. It doesn't always have to be a a professional thing. It can be a personal thing. One of my favorite stories is a story about Dr. James Dobson. Some of you might not know who he is, but uh, in the 70s, he was the spokesman, the 70s and 80s, he was the spokesman for Christian family values across America. Focus on the family was of his uh, ministry, and and, uh, he wrote many books uh, that were so helpful to families and are still classic helpful books to people who are raising children. 
At the time that he wrote Dare to Discipline, which was the book that put him on the map across the country, it was 1969. Now, he was uh, a professor at the University of Southern California in the School of Medicine. He, he is a medical professional. And he also was on staff at uh, Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. When that book hit the market, it created a, a wave of popularity. He was in demand across the country. And uh, he was taking off in terms of national reputation. And it was also a very lucrative time for him. Uh, he said there was one stint, as he looks back, where for 17 days he was never at home uh, at night for a 17-day period. And they had a little girl, five years old. He said, I, I still remember that she used to cry when I would leave in the morning because she, didn't, she wouldn't see me until the next day in the morning again that he was that committed and that involved. His father, who was a Christian pastor, was not really impressed by his success, even though he became a leading Christian spokesman. That shows how awful Christianity can get in the way of God's priorities, too. He said, although my activities were bringing me professional advancement in the trappings of financial success, my dad was not impressed. He had observed my hectic lifestyle and felt obligated to express his concern. And so he wrote Dr. James Dobson a letter. He said, son, Danae, their five-year-old daughter, is growing up in the most wicked section of the world she could grow up, L.A. Uh, he had been raised in Nebraska. He had been raised in a more rural environment. Much further gone in moral decline than the world into which you were born. I have observed the greatest delusion is to suppose that our children will be devout Christians simply because their parents have been. And that any of them will enter into the Christian faith in any other way than through their parents' deep travail of prayer and faith. But this prayer, my son, demands time. Time that cannot be given if it is signed and conscripted and laid on the altar of career ambition. Failure for you, Dr. Dobson, at this point, would make mere success in your occupation a very pale and washed-out affair indeed. He said, those words written without accusation or insult hit me like a blow from a hammer. Have you ever had any regrets? I would think that uh, we have all had regrets. It's not too late to turn around. You don't have to live that life. You know, don't drown, turn around. You know, find the message that the Lord is speaking to you and make a course correction. One more step in the wrong direction won't get you closer to your goal. So my first observation is that uh, what might have been is discouraging from the Father's perspective. You know, for what he wanted for us versus the reality. Doesn't mean that he loves us any less. He certainly doesn't. The second observation is that God's will for your life is not based on what God wants from you. It's based on what God wants for you. Uh, it's not a question of mere obedience. I think most of us want to do the right thing because we know it's the right thing to do. We try to abide by the Ten Commandments. We try to be faithful in our giving. We try to be gracious towards others. We offer service to those who are in need. We 
strive to be forgiving even the most difficult circumstances because we know that's the right thing to do. We know that's the obedient Christian thing to do. We attempt to read our Bibles and faithfully to do so. We even attend church because we believe it's the right thing to do. And Jesus is crying over us for what might have been. He doesn't want obedience because it's the right thing to do. But because it's the best thing to do. His guidelines and his expectations are not for his sake. They're for ours. And all of those things that he asks of us are because he understands where real value, where real satisfaction, where real purpose, and where real contentment lies. And when we abide faithful with his standards in life, uh, then we have the blessing that he wants his children to have. Like a father or mother who rejoices in the success of a child. Not because it brings them honor, but because it's the best thing for the child. Now, God will love us even if we are unfaithful. He loved the children of Israel even though for 40 years they suffered the consequence of their unfaithfulness. He loved the city of Jerusalem even though it would suffer the consequence of its unfaithfulness and it would be destroyed by the Romans and and there would be this incredible uh, destruction and loss of life. He loved them even then and he went to the cross nevertheless to die for them. God will love you even if you are unfaithful. But what might have been? What more he wants for you? Not because it pleases him, but because it's best for you. He cried over the city because if they had known the visitation that they were experiencing, they would have known, even known this day, he says, the things that make for peace. That's where his tears were spent for what might have been, the peace that they might have understood. Uh, They were not lost to salvation, but they were lost for all that God had intended for them. And that's true for you as well. I I want you to take a moment now and, and, and just enter into a period of prayer and ask God to open your eyes for what might have been and, and for an attitude of understanding that uh, his will for your life is not to his honor, not to uh, a degree of obedience from your uh, point of view that somehow makes his godship credible, but his concern for you and his guidelines for you are for your sake and not so much for his. Just pray about that for a moment. That day, uh, and you were heartbroken, even though everybody around you was celebrating, and everybody around you was in the moment, and you were uh, dealing with a different reality, a, a, a different perspective on the events of that moment. And, and while everyone was cheering, you were crying for what might have been. Lord, are we so deluded? Are, are we lost in the moment and, and don't recognize uh, the payoff, the, the joy? the blessing of faithfulness that you want for us, not to your glory, not to your honor, but uh, to our betterment and to our blessing. Do you cry over us for what might have been? And do you wish, Lord, that even now we would turn from that path and, and not drown, but turn around and, and discover firm footing 
the blessings that you intend for your children. Lord, we pray that you would grant it through our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. Amen. I want you to rise and join with me in a, in a confession of